Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Everyone makes commitments. You agree to do something for someone else. A few examples come to mind. You make a commitment to your boss that you'll get that project done by the end of the week. Think of marriage. Marriage is a lifelong commitment. Maybe you've made a commitment to your kids to drive them to sports practice or to rehearsal because you want them to be well-rounded. We all make commitments. Commitments aren't bad, but have you ever had a problem with some of your commitments? Let me be a little more accurate here. Not a problem with the commitments themselves, but a problem with you and your commitments. Like when you overcommit. You have too many things on your plate. You can't keep it all in the air and it all comes crashing down. Or maybe you've been like me and you've put yourself in a situation like this. You commit to something without thinking first about what you've actually agreed to do. And then, when you get a closer look at what you've agreed to do, you recognize and realize that what's going on is much more complicated than what you can handle. You realize then just how unqualified you are I was in a situation like this not all that long ago. It had to do with my car. My wife and I own a, a trusty Honda Pilot. It's not the newest car in the world, but it's still got plenty of miles to go. A few summers ago, it was having some issues shifting, so we decided to troubleshoot the best way that we knew how, calling my father-in-law. He's a handy guy. He can fix anything. Multiple lawnmowers, a boat, an old Jeep. He can fix it all. So we went to task looking for a solution for us. He called me up with a solution that was actually quite simple. All we needed was two small, inexpensive parts to fix the issue. And here was the best part of all of it he was willing to ship those inexpensive parts to us if I was willing to install them myself. Of course, I quickly agreed to install these parts since he was so kind to us. The parts came in the mail, and I popped the hood on our Honda. I was greeted with a world that I wasn't familiar with at all. Gears, belts, moving parts. I think there's a motor in there somewhere. Right then and there, I realized that I had committed myself to doing something that I wasn't capable of at all. In the section of scripture that we're looking at today in 2 Corinthians, Paul gives us a look under the hood. It's a close look at what's going on in God's ministry of the gospel. It's like Paul is pointing to all these moving parts and pieces underneath the hood, 
of how God brings the message of salvation to you and to me. It's like he's pointing to different things, like the beginning, where this all comes from, that this is from God. As Paul tells us, all this is from God. We see the love of God in sending his Son. Then there's the work of Christ, who died for them and was raised again. There are moving parts, too, as we see that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. We even see the results of all of this working together. The results for you and me as God describes us as reconciled, brought back into his presence, a new creation. But as you look at all these moving pieces working together. Did you notice it? That you are in there too. That you are a part of this. Not just as one to whom this gospel message is brought, but also one through whom God brings the gospel message to others. You are a piece of this. Committed to our God's ministry of reconciliation. Paul even describes what the life of a believer looks like as a part of this. It's this beautiful picture of believers impacted by the message of the gospel, living a life of love toward others. He says that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Or even when Paul describes how this impacts his own ministry, As he says, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. It's this beautiful picture of believers compelled by the love of Christ to show love to others in their lives. Yet I have to pause here and ask, can we actually commit ourselves to doing such a task? being such a a pivotal and important part of God's message and sharing of the gospel, to sharing in such a godly and loving way? Or are we in over our heads? I have to pause and swallow hard when I read Paul's description of what this looks like. People who are no longer living for themselves— a life of self-denial, a focus on Christ and on others. As much as I'd love to quickly raise my hand and say, that's always me, I know that more often than not, that isn't who I am. Living for others, a life of self-denial, that isn't what my heart naturally wants. Instead, I choose to live for myself instead. A life, of, a life of love for others, choosing to deny myself, that's uncomfortable. Instead, I choose the things that are comfortable. This is the natural inclination of our sinful flesh. And we can even see the ways that this might affect us in witnessing to others. I experienced something like this not all that long ago. On an airplane sitting next to a stranger. When the conversation had a break and there was a chance to shift toward talking about faith, 
I thought to myself, well, that might make this situation weird and uncomfortable. So in that moment, I chose instead to be quiet. Fear, an unwillingness to be uncomfortable, to put others first. These things show us just how unqualified we are to be a part of this ministry of reconciliation. Or when we look at the way that Paul describes his ministry, that he no longer views people with a worldly point of view, He seeks to view people only through the lens of what Jesus has done for them. This is a freeing thing. To not wonder or question who we should share the message with. Yet, without thinking, we can often shift into that worldly focus. Choosing instead to look at stature or race or background before the way that God looks at us. And this can impact how we share the message too. Building walls instead of bridges to share the gospel message. Here's the problem. The more that we reflect on ourselves and how we fit into this ministry of reconciliation and who we are, the more we realize just how flawed we are. Just how underqualified we are for serving in this role. That it appears that we're committed to sharing a message that we're not even qualified to speak. Even if we were to commit ourselves to speaking the message like Paul every single day, our work would still be flawed then, too. Paul was sinful, and so are we. So, instead of viewing this as our commitment to God, let's look instead at God's commitment to us. As Paul describes that beautifully here, that God has reconciled us to himself through Christ. Where our sinfulness ruined our relationship with God, he has brought us back to be in his presence. Marvel at this beautiful fact. That the beginning, the middle, and the end of God's plan of salvation is all from him, in him, and for you. And where we fail to follow through on not living for ourselves, living for Christ and living for others, see what God did for us. In sending his son, Jesus Christ, one who would always live for others, always living in the ways that were uncomfortable, experiencing all the pain and hardship of this world, and where you and I aren't even able to live for others, God did more than that. In Christ, he gave one who died for all. God reconciles us through the death of Christ. Our life exchanged for his life. His death, our death. His resurrection, our resurrection. So that as we look at the cross, we can say with confidence, there is the death that my sins deserved. There is where I find my life. 
And this work of God breaks down any wall of separation we could ever try to build up. The forgiveness won in the death of Christ stretches beyond the barriers of time and space. A message of forgiveness for all peoples. As Paul tells us that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Not counting people's sins against them. Not viewing us in the worldly way that we so often go to. Not even looking at us in view of our sins. Instead, God sees every single one of his reconciled children in the same way, in the same place, in Christ. This is where you are. This is where God sees you in Christ and his righteousness. This is your God's commitment to you, what he has done for you in Christ. As I stood looking at my car with the hood popped, I knew I was in over my head. I'll be honest with you, I don't even know how to change the oil. Luckily, my father-in-law is a kind man, and he also knows me rather well, that this kind of thing isn't exactly in my wheelhouse. So he had a plan. That day when I installed the parts, he FaceTimed me and walked me through the whole process, pointing me to where to go and showing me what to do. It turns out all I needed was one socket, some patience, and his guidance to get the job done. And even though I was the one installing the parts, and he was a thousand miles away, it might be more accurate to say that he did all the work that day. I was just merely the go-between. So what is our role in this ministry of reconciliation? Paul mentions more than once that this is what God has given to us. He says that God has given this to us, committed us to it. But how do we fit into the picture? Allow me to get nerdy and a little doctrinal for a moment here. The word talks about the message of salvation coming to us in a few different ways. You're familiar with this. We talk about it in worship in Bible class. We talk about the means of grace, the stuff that God uses, the gospel in word and sacraments. Or we talk about the love of God in sending his son, what compelled him to send Jesus. The dogmaticians, these teachers, would call these things the causes of salvation like the different moving parts under the hood of a car working together to deliver salvation to you. Like one that they call the impelling cause. This is like that starting point, the thing that that starts it all, God's love for you in sending his son, or the instrumental cause. This is the stuff, the word and sacraments. But there's one more cause or way that God brings this message of salvation that we're looking at today. This is the, inst- the ministerial cause. In other words, that God uses people. This is the who behind the message of salvation, how God brings it to others. 
He chooses to work through sinful people like you and me to bring about this message of reconciliation. That's what Paul is talking about when he says that God has committed us to this message of reconciliation. So how should we view the way that God is using us here? First, let me mention two ways that we shouldn't. One, thinking that God will do this apart from us and simply zap people into believing. He certainly could do this, of course, but as we see in his word, he has promised to work through people. What might it look like if we lived in a way thinking like this? Well, as a church, not only a place that ignored reaching out to others, but actually said it was a bad thing to do that. Or, in your personal life, not caring about friends or family members who don't believe. But we can't go to the other side either. A place where we believe that this all depends on us and that God isn't involved at all. What would that look like? A life filled with fear. We're not saying the right words or persuading people correctly. A work that would ultimately end in fear. Neither of these work. So let's look instead at how God describes this ministry that he has given to us with a perfect description. He says that we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. There is no lack of certainty or question as to whether or not God will do this. Those words, as though, might also be translated or understood since. Since God is making his appeal through us, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. And since God... The one who reconciled us has made us his ambassadors. He will work through us to bring this message to people all throughout the world. And since we are his ambassadors, we speak a message that is not our own. A message given to us by God. Not a message filled with doubt or uncertainty, but one filled with completed fact. The message of Christ's work. Words that we don't even have to search for. Words like the ones that Paul ends this section of Scripture with today. Simple, yet beautiful. Even familiar to you. That God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There's a balance to how we look at this role that God has given us in this ministry of reconciliation. Like a car with all of its moving parts under the hood, you can even see how God might use you to share this message. Let this be an encouragement to you as you consider how this might happen or even think back on ways that it has happened. But let this also be your comfort that God is the one who holds all of this. The beginning, the middle, and the end. Even where he will use you to bring about this message of reconciliation. While we might be filled with fears, doubts, or even uncertainty as to whether or not we're qualified to commit to such a task, the ministry of reconciliation has never been about what we commit ourselves to, 
but rather what God has committed to do through us. Amen.